this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today we'll be talking to Louis O'Connor, founder and principal of Strategic Metals Invest. Strategic Metals Invest is the only industry supplier in the world to offer private investors the option to purchase and profit from owning strategic metals. Uh, the investment proposition is pretty much the same as investing in precious metals, but instead the investor is purchasing strategic metals. And we'll find out from Louis presently exactly what strategic metals are and why they have become an asset class. So delighted to have you with us today, Louis. You're very welcome. Thank you, Patrick. And it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. So to get uh, started, Louis, could you give us kind of a brief um, overview around your, your background and career to date that's brought you to this point as being the, the founder and principal of Strategic Metals Invest? OK, well, um, I didn't start in, in strategic metals or, or rare earth metals um, I don't even think they were named uh, that by the, uh, you know, when I started out. So I'm a native of Dublin. Um, I was part of the sort of emigration, um, um, generation emigration in the sort of so around the middle 80s. I uh, went to Germany, lived in Germany for eight to 10 years. I was in the car business, actually. Um, and then I traveled to Latin America and spent 15 years uh, in Panama, where I said I had sort of a boutique sort of a concierge business um, where you, we, we, once the canal, Panama Canal was handed over to Panama, uh, Panama became a sort of a, an ideal location for American retirees. So, so I looked after North Americans, Canadians, Europeans looking for property or retirement homes or even investments uh, in Central America and to some extent South America uh, Colombia as well. I just returned home uh, two years ago, primarily um, to do this business. Um, I'll explain a bit more in a minute, but uh, my partner is in Germany and I needed to be Europe based. So tell us then, what exactly are strategic metals and how are they different from precious metals and why have they become an asset class that's of interest to investors? Okay, so uh, strategic metals is an umbrella term for what some people call technology metals. So, um, is, is rare earth metals the same thing? Covers technology metals, rare earth elements, which are the oxide, the power, then rare earth metals, which are obviously the metals and also in pellets, uh, even green metals. Now, the metals, for example, that are critically needed in uh, for electric car, electric car magnets, I should say, um, solar power, wind power. So. Strategic metals is an umbrella term for uh, basically, you know, all of these um, materials, raw materials that are needed for how we power our daily lives. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say they have become an asset class yet, because um, my my partner, I, I'm I'm a, a sales partner of an industry supplier in Frankfurt. And they're the only industry supplier in the world that offers this option to private investors. So I'll explain a little bit further. Um, only 15 to 20% are of their business activities are on the investment side. Um, and it might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but actually 
What's most important about what they do is not the investment side. So I'll just explain that. So for the last 30 years, a company's called Tradium, T-R-A-D-I-U-M, based in Frankfurt in Germany. For the last 30 years, they have been an industry supplier. So primarily 80% of their business activities are they buy you know, raw materials, such as um, gallium, indium, chryseidonium, you know, all of these metals um, for, for modern technology. And they resell them back to industry. And that's primarily what they do. Now, if they didn't do that, they wouldn't be able to offer the investment side simply because the only end buyer for these metals are industry buyers. There's no point in you or me buying, you know, 100,000 euros worth of indium, which allows you to swipe your phone, among other things, and having it stored, say, here in a safe in Ireland or anywhere, because unless we're making phones or, you know, solar panels or something, they're, you know, they're of no value to us. So, so the key part of them being an asset class or emerging as an asset class is that you really would want to be aligned with an industry supplier. And just to give you a quick idea, like, um, the investment offer has only been, a, although they're in business 30 years, the investment side has only been going for about 12 years. What they did is they bought a um, what was an air raid bunker in World War II in Frankfurt, converted it to a vault, you know, bank level security, bonded, insured, armed guard. So it's a full bank level um, secure vault. Uh, so in 2010, they began to offer this option to investors, mostly in Germany, Austria, Switzerland. They've done zero marketing in the English-speaking world until very, very recently. Um, and to give you an idea, the vault now sits, the inventory in the vault, they've got about 200 metric tons of raw materials there, and less than 20% of those of that inventory are investor-owned. So I'm just trying to sort of highlight the fact that um, you'd have to be an industry supplier to do this. And then at Strategic Metals Invest, so this this um, company that you've founded and uh, are principal of, what are the services that you're providing to investor investors, and what can they expect in terms of risk and performance with regard to Strategic Metals? Okay, so so as I said, Tradium in Frankfurt, you know, eighty percent of what they do is as a metal supplier. That's their primary business, and and that's why they want to keep focusing on. So you could say they've outsourced the sales and marketing uh, for the investment side. You know, I'd say about maybe 10, 15% of their staff in Frankfurt work on the investment side with me, but they don't have a sales and marketing team. They mostly use um, uh, financial you know, brokers, insurance agents in Germany. There's quite a large sort of uh, variety of people can offer the product because it's not a financial instrument. I mean, people are buying a physical asset. Just like you could go into, you know, Marion Gold here, uh, Marion Vaults in Ireland and, and buy gold and take it home. You don't need to be an accredited investor or, you know, anybody can go in and make a purchase. So it's quite easy to um, to offer the product. But as I said, until very recently, um, they didn't really do any international marketing. Um, they do now because they've recently expanded the, the capacity to vault. It's three times what it was. And I first became interested in them as an investor. Um, and, you know, I sort of had my name down. If, you, if you're ever expanding your, your commercial partners or you're looking for international partners, I'd like to be one. And so, so I created uh, Strategic Metals Invest in 2020. And very simply, what we are is 
a sales and marketing um, arm of of the industry supplier. So uh, I'm a commercial partner. And then what about the element of trust in this? So I guess this area is relatively new for many investors. I, I know a lot of the people you're dealing with are in the US and the uh, Tradium are in are in Germany and the, the Vault is in Germany, which is in, in Europe, which you know they, they, they may tend to, to view in a certain way. So how do you establish trust with them from the outset? Well, I mean, the first step is due diligence, you know. I mean, it, I would say the first you know, establishing trust is, is I you know, is really, I mean, I have obviously a compliance package and um, all sample documents and what you call the legal imprint of, of the company they're doing business with. But I think the, you know, the investors themselves have to do that. They have to do due do diligence. I mean, um, if it means getting on a plane and flying to Frankfurt, I mean, I meet, I've had clients come from the US and the reason I'm focused and I'm not, not focusing on Ireland, UK. I mean, I do, but I'm focusing on in the US because there's more of an appetite for sort of precious metals over there. Um, I think maybe they've had wealth longer. Maybe they've had financial advisors longer, but they're... They, well, they, they I guess they're more sophisticated from an investment point of view in the US, aren't they? In, in general, it's more... I think more, so. I think they have more wealth longer and, you know, and um, yeah, they just have a more of a, certainly for metals, they have more of an appetite, um, although there are businesses in, in Ireland now, obviously, yeah. that yeah, do. Well, you know, if you go out for dinner in America, people ask you about your portfolio. Nobody in Dublin ever asks you about your portfolio. You know what I mean? They have no. a different different no. attitude to investment. And exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, I was talking with a guy, a Swiss guy, we were at a conference recently or a while back, and he was saying that if you get on a flight, say, with an American going transatlantic by the time you get off that flight the american will have told you everything about you know sort of all the um they don't mind they're very open about uh, what they're doing and they like to share um and 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 you know and and gather information but europeans you know like especially sort of so it's continental europeans they, they just it's not it's, i suppose it's not considered you know um very polite to talk about money and stuff <laughs> like that so but um yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Recently, I was talking with a gentleman in Tennessee who's a gold book, which means he's he's got a lot of gold. And that one question came up. He said, Louis, I love the whole thing. He's done his due diligence. He said, but I like, he said, I like to have my gold close to home, you know. And what he meant was he's probably got it buried in the back garden, I think, you know. But, um, <laughs> but that was his question about, you know, trust. And I said, well, look, I said, if um, if all your assets are in one currency and in one country, then it's sort of in in alignment with sort of modern portfolio theory, you, you actually don't have full diversification. So once due diligence is done, once somebody has established that, right, this company is in business 30 years, that they, they are a, a bona fide metal supplier, and maybe they go to the vault and they see 200 metric tons, they know, okay, this, this is for real. And once that's established, then, you know, what's the difference of, you know, whether your metals are in Singapore or Switzerland or, or Tennessee, you know, what, what is most interesting about them, which I'm sure we're going to get to, is performance. For example, in the last five years, uh, gold is up 58% from 2017 to 2022. Uh, strategic metals on average, now there's 10 of them, but I averaged it out. Strategic metals are up 34% a year. For that same period so 
there's there's a there's a real good story to tell there. You know, if you're an investor, you know what's your most important in obviously safety, security, but what's in it for me? You know, what are the likely gains? And strategic metals outperform gold, and I'll, I'll tell you why because I know you're going to ask me. Is gold has a well? Strategic metals have an intrinsic value, and they're critically needed in all modern technology, electric cars. Um, medical devices, military applications, and there's a surging, surging demand. Whereas gold has an extrinsic, a perceived value. Gold normally just goes up in price when there's either a crisis or a perceived crisis. Um, so, so that's the real story, actually. That's why I got so excited about rare earths as an investment and also as a business. And what are the what are the names of some of the? You said, I think you said there's ten of them. But what are some of the names? Uh, we might not recognize them, but at least for you to say them here, so that we sure. we hear them at least once. <laughs> okay, so gallium actually is in just about everything, and then we have indium, uh, rhenium, uh, germanium, and then some of the oxides, which are the powdered form, are uh, neodymium, perseodymium. Um, um dysprosium so that that's just okay. a i don't i don't recall any of those from the periodic table at uh, <laughs> secondary school <laughs> yeah well they probably i mean it, what's interesting about them is they're not all that rare but they're never found they're always a byproduct of another raw material so they they can be found sort of in clusters all together and it's only you know in the last 30 40 years particularly in china the, the refining, the technology has gotten better where they can separate them and they can sort of uh, uh, rebuild them nearly with, you know, with stronger purity levels. So, so yeah, they're, and then, and also before the sort of um, technology boom, um, you know, they wouldn't, it's, it's like, it's, it's just the right time for these particular raw materials. They're, they're, they're in, you know, every, you know, touchscreen has them and every computer and, and all technology. 93.9 Dublin South FM. You mentioned China there as a source. So where where are they where are rare earth metals uh, produced in the world? And is there any production in developed countries in, in Europe or North America? Or or do we have a another strategic geopolitical issue here with the source of uh, rare earth metals? Yeah. Look, if if people do a little bit of investigating, they'll find hidden in plain sight a, a sort of an unbelievable sort of um, story here for the last. Uh, Deng Xiaoping, the Chinese premier in the, in the 1980s said, um, in the 1980s, the US produced 60% of the world rare earths. And he made a statement at the end of the 80s. He said, um, the Middle East has oil, um, China has rare earths. Now, since then, China now produces more than 60% of the world's rare earths and crucially 87% of the world's refining is done in China. Now that's a very, very complicated mathematical process. It takes a long time to, uh, and a lot of, you know, a lot of um, industry and, you know, um, education to get there. So just to give you an idea, um, there's one mine in North America producing rare earths uh, which is a mountain pass in California, but all those raw materials are still sent to China for refining. So basically, China is the dominant market leader in rare earths, and the reason they are is because they decided they would be, and that's why you see such such sort of you know gains in the prices. 
which is China basically, like last year, for example, some of those, uh, this, this, this prosium and neodymium doubled in price. The reason they doubled in price is China doubled its production of electric cars last year domestically. So they only sort of doled out and they, you know, they, they, once they'd satisfied their own quotas and needs is then they, whatever was less available was given to the outside world. And that's why you've got these um, sort of increases in prices. That's not going to change overnight. It didn't happen overnight. Um, you'll find as well, if you look in a very rare sort of occurrence of agreement, both President Trump and President Biden both signed executive orders recognizing that America needs to wean its dependence off China. Europe needs to do the same. Now, it's not to say there aren't rare earths in Europe and in America, but the mining process is expensive, it's complicated. Um, and of course, US, Europe will do it more sustainably. So, you know, just, just on that alone, you're looking at 25, 30% sort of more cost. So, so it's sort of, to, it, look, it's an interesting place to be, but from my point of view today in this discussion, you know, as, as a, a business offering people the opportunity to physically own these metals, you know, investors can profit. And, you know, as the last five years has proven, they can profit pr quite handsomely, you know, uh, for the, you know, for the next three or five years anyway, that's for sure. You mentioned um, electric cars and mobile phones. So what other industries are using rare earth metals and how is the supply and demand looking for the future as you know things become more technological and as we move towards electric cars on a mass scale it's you know the the, the transition we're about to go through uh, to sort of greener more sustainable energy is just you know it's 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 you know hardly you know processable really um there's just not enough in the supply chain, and there won't be um, for a very long time. Um, there, they are. China will increase production. Other countries will, but it just will take time. Um, but yeah, so the industries where you're going to see most of the growth are uh, solar power, particularly uh, photovoltaics, which is thin film solar, which basically means in the in the, in the next sort of three to five, ten years you know, the, the side of your building and then all the windows in a home will be able to absorb, like with indium, indium can absorb solar rays and transform uh, into, into electricity. So there's new sort of applications, new technologies coming, like the back of your phone. It, it, it won't be too long because of rare earths. You won't need a charger for your phone. It'll charge just from having indium sort of all around the interface. Um, so solar power, wind power, like one one wind turbine needs about two tons of um, of rare earths, a powdered form because they're light and they need to be light, you know, and you know for for manufacturing and stuff. Um, electric cars. I mean, every car manufacturer in the world is going electric. Um, in fact, the U.S. Army just announced um, they will have an all uh, an all electric non tactical fleet by two thousand and thirty five. And by 2050, they'll have an all-electric tactical fleet. So everywhere you turn, there's demand for these raw materials. Um, and there's no way that they can they can keep up with that supply-wise. So how is the, how are the, the disruptions that are going on at the moment re related to COVID? I know China is still badly affected by COVID. 
and the war in Ukraine, how are they affecting the supply and demand at the moment? Well, COVID certainly did. And that's why we had sort of that, you know, um, what we saw some additional sort of increases. Uh, you know, some of our metals doubled and tripled in price last year. I, I would say, you know, that's a bit of an anomaly because of COVID. Um, the, the reason, you know, Ukraine and, and Russia, the reason you'll see spikes in demand there is is Europe is looking, you know, even, you know, Ireland now, um, you know, has, has great potential um, with wind power. You could say, I suppose, China has rare earths, the Middle East has island. We have wind here in Ireland, um, yeah. the North Sea as well. So Europe wants to wean its dependence off Russia. Um, so there'll be more demand for raw materials there. But the most important driving factor behind in sort of price increases and uh, supply and demand is the fact that if you look at China's futures policy, um, which was which was released, you know, in the year 2000, and it was actually called China, the 25-year plan, it was called China 2025. And that clearly states that China wanted to be domestically self-sufficient in 10 different technologies by 2025. They're very close to achieving that, that 80% of the refining in rare earths. So sometime between now and 2030, China will become self-sufficient and the rest of the world, the West anyway, will be waiting on what China will, you know, will release to them after they've satisfied their own domestic needs. That's what will drive every time they restrict quotas or they, you know, they keep more for themselves, prices will spike. And at the moment, believe it or not, Europe or the US, they don't have a supply chain of rare earths. They're completely dependent on China. Yeah, that's uh imagine something that's causing concern in the in the White House and in Brussels. And you know, maybe they they they're they're thinking about plans for remedying that. Although, as you said, it's gonna take a long time. I guess it would take them if they decided they wanted to have a, an independent capability. How long would it take them? Would it take a decade? Would it take more? I, I say at least, you know, I, I was chatting with a gentleman, his name's Jack Lifton. Um, and he's, I'd say he's the foremost authority on rare earths in the US. He's been talking and knows about rare earths since the 1960s. He's sort of more of an academic. And he made a very good point to me. I mean, he said, Louis, he said, um, what well, you know, he, he was sort of talking, you know, that, you know, hearing what sort of President Biden was saying and even Trump before him about that, you know, all of a sudden America is going to create its own supply chain. He said he gave me an example. He said he said the refining process of rare earths is it's it's very, very complicated. It's you know, it's mathematics, basically. He said, you know, you need geologists and, you know, scientists. And, you know, he said China has probably been educating um, about I think he said in the U.S. there's about um, maybe 200 of these spe specialist sort of geologists being sort of educated a year in the U.S. He said China's knocking out about 200 of them a week and have been doing for the last 30 years. So it's just not that you just, you know, again, I'd say you're looking at a generation. I mean, I'm not a metals expert like Jack. I mean, I'm very, very new. To the industry, but but speaking with the experts in in Frankfurt and and Jack over in in the US, um, there's no easy solution. You know, um, I'd say we continue to see price increases, and you know the you know the manufacturers and stuff just factor the prices in. People will still pay, or you know, continually pay more money for the new iPhone, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, then. So we, maybe as you come into the last few minutes, we'll change tack a little, and I might just ask you what kind of things you like to get up to in your spare time when you're not working and thinking about rare earth, rare earth metals. <laughs> right. Well, I'm very um, excited to be home in Ireland. I mean, I, as I said, I, I ten years in Germany, pretty much twenty years in Latin America, um, and we moved home. You know. Pretty, as you know, sort of pretty much three weeks before this pandemic kicked in. So my wife's Mexican. My two kids were born in Panama. We moved to Tipperary. And um, even though we're coming up on two years at home, I just feel like we arrived a week ago or maybe a month ago because everything was locked down. So, you know, that lovely new fresh, even though I'm Irish and stuff, I mean, it, it, I've moved home. It's a different country than I left 30 years ago. So just you know, Ireland, actually, the novelty and the newness and the adventure of, of being here for me and, and seeing my kids go. My kids are little Latinas, you know, they, they, they never owned a jacket in their life till they moved here, you know, <laughs> and had to buy one in July, you know. Um, so, yeah, just loving, uh, you know, um, West Coast, like we go over to Liscanner and the Hinch to swim and stuff. So so just enjoying being home at the moment and the fresh air and, of course, the, long, the lovely long evenings, you know. Yeah. And are you reading or listening to anything, books, audiobooks, podcasts that, you know, of interest that would inspire you that you'd recommend? What a, recently I read um, Empire of Pain, which is, you know, not a great story, but um, about the Sackler, the dynasty and that, you know, I'm reading Putin's people at the moment about um, it's funny. It's very funny. You know what? It's funny. The last two books, the message that you see, which is sort of true as well. Um, you know, any of these, what you might call evil or, or greed or, or power grabs or stuff, it usually starts out as a good idea. Somebody thought they were doing right. If you look at the founder of the Sackler family, he, he did a sort of internship as a doctor in a sort of asylum in America, in, in New York. At that time, the only treatment they had for depression and stuff was electric shock therapy and things like that. And he wanted to find a better way to take care of people, you know? And he, they, they actually were involved in sort of Valium and Librium in their early days. And so, and the same even, you know, um, it's, just, it's just an interesting concept. You know, everybody already always thinks they're, they're right, you know? I mean, if you're in, you know, whether it's a country that's having a disagreement or a neighbor or a business, you know, everybody usually sort of feels they're right. So it's interesting that um, in, in such a divided climate, um, I suppose I'm talking about North America, though, because a lot of my clients are there, but got to find a common ground, you know. Mm -hmm. So where can people find out more about you and about the investment options that you have? OK, so the, the website is Strategic Metals Invest and they can go there and download the digital prospectus uh, or they can email it's info at strategicmetalsinvest.com. Okay, and it's important there's an S there in the in the metals, strategic metals invest. Metals, yeah. I made yeah. I made that I made that mistake. So, uh, well, thanks very much, Louis. Uh, pleasure to talk to you again. Wish you the very best with this for the future, both professionally and personally. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. And any comments or questions, just drop me a line on uh, pdaily, P-D-A-L-Y, at albalogistics.com. And keep well and stay safe until next time.